From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, the Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council, and an honor indeed to be sitting in today for Tony. But great to have you on board with us as well. Thank you for making Washington Watch part of your day. We've got a lot coming your way in the next hour. Let, let me give you some of the highlights. Negotiations continue regarding the National Defense Authorization Act, and the Democrats have ramped up their efforts to strip that final bill of any amendments that stop illegal taxpayer funding of military abortion travel. Well, clearly, members of Congress should insist that this year's NDAA protect the unborn, and they, they also protect taxpayers from unlawfully paying for the facilitation of abortion. I'll be talking about that a little bit later on in the program with Montana Congressman Matt Rosendale, and we will also be discussing the upcoming vote to remove Congressman George Santos from Congress. And the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government has revealed further evidence of collusion between the White House and Big Tech, but this time specifically regarding Americans' First Amendment rights when discussing COVID on tech platforms like YouTube. Well, could further censorship affect the upcoming presidential election? As highlighted during a hearing, of the subcommittee earlier today, the answer to that question is yes. If one small demographic over here has broad control over the whole speech landscape and a great big one over there has no control whatsoever, it follows that one of those groups will end up with more political power than the other. Which one is the, is the winner? To paraphrase our glasser, it probably ain't yours. Wow. Powerful, powerful statement. That was journalist Matt Tybee testifying earlier today. And Tom Fitton, president of Judicial Watch, will be joining me here in just a few moments to discuss these latest revelations. And speaking of the upcoming election, could Democrats use another pandemic scare to further affect uh, their attempts to erode election integrity? Another powerful question. I'll ask J. Christian Adams, president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation, about that as the program unfolds. And anti-Israel slash pro-Hamas rioters chose an interesting tactic to draw people to their side last night in New York City. They tried to spoil the annual lighting of the Christmas tree in Rockefeller Center, uh, and it's just simply becoming more and more apparent that the left's nihilistic hatred of God and religion does not end with anti-Semitism. Dr. Albert Moeller will be joining me a little bit later on in the program to discuss how we should respond to the left's further attacks on religion. So, friends, we've got a lot to unpack for you in today's program. Be sure to stay put and don't go anywhere, but if by chance you miss any portion of today's program, you can catch it by going to our website, which of course is TonyPerkins.com. And of course, there are tons of resources there available for you as well. So don't miss that website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, let's jump into the show. According to a subpoena from the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, the Biden administration colluded 
with tech companies such as the Google-owned YouTube to censor COVID-related content throughout 2021. The censorship scheme was led by then White House Director of Digital Strategy, Rob Flaherty, who later has left, he left that position. He now works on the president's re-election campaign. But with the 2024 presidential election now approaching, what role could big tech censorship have in these campaigns? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Tom Fenton. He, of course, is the president of Judicial Watch. Tom, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Hey, good to be with you again, Jody. Thank you. All right. Well, let's. Uh, there's a lot to uncover that I want to talk to you about. But before we get into that particular issue, today, of course, the uh, Select Subcommittee on Weaponization held a hearing. Uh, catch us up on, on what took place today. Well, you had the Democrats. I mean, you had Ron Goldman. Is his name Ron? Congressman Gold, Goldman from New York. Uh, talk about... Uh, the Hunter laptop being potentially uh, fake. So they're completely out to lunch purposely uh, when it comes to the censorship they encourage in order to uh, disrupt and interfere with the 2020 election. Uh, on top of that, we've had new revelations over the last week uh, tying our military uh, complex and national security complex more directly to efforts uh, to censor and suppress information around the election. And then uh, on top of that, as we're hearing again just recently, and Judicial Watch is finding this too, and our separate independent investigations, you have uh, a massive push uh, by uh, the agencies to send, and the White House specifically, to censor information or uh, dissent on COVID and the vaccines. And whether it be YouTube, Twitter, you name it, uh, you had a, a really kind of a whole-of-government approach uh, to censorship. And, you know, it began, frankly, under the Trump administration uh, th through uh, these deep state actors trying to mess with the uh, uh, elections by suppressing content about Joe Biden and questions about the administration of the election. It's metastasized under Biden, and Biden's kind of embraced the censorship ethic directly and personally, and we, we see this in document after document where top officials of these big tech companies, these social media companies, are in direct communication with the White House. Basically, you can tell in the emails that they're afraid. You know, what can we do to get you off our back? And, and this is on top of kind of the, the kind of the broad big tech censorship regime that targeted you that targeted me, that targeted Judicial Watch. And I mean by you, I mean you, Jody. You were sitting congressman, they were targeting you. So, and of course, President Trump was targeted as well. And on top of everything else, you have this new Twitter subpoena or the subpoena that's been recently disclosed uh, where the Biden Justice Department through Jack Smith is not only trying to get material about Twitter's, the Twitter account of President Trump, but the Twitter account of everyone who was following him, liking him, or mentioning him on Twitter, which potentially is tens of millions of people. So this is That's a right. massive effort not only to censor, but to intimidate and track Americans who oppose Trump. 
So let me give well, you just who a frankly just had curiosity that, about what or, or who just had curiosity about what Trump was saying. So Democrat Nancy Pelosi maybe was caught up in this. <laughs> yeah, who, who knows? You know, when you say that this was a whole of government approach, that's chilling. I mean, as you said, I experienced it. You experienced it. So many experienced this eye of intimidation and potential threat coming from the federal government. But when you talk about whole of government, this is like coordination. It is strategic. It is planned out. How concerned, in your opinion, Tom, should Americans be about this weaponized federal government that seems to be increasingly becoming more and more evident? I mean, there are kind of a few issues. You have the attack on our First Amendment freedoms, the efforts to suppress and censor, uh, CIA involved, State Department involved, FBI involved, Department of Homeland Security involved, HHS involved, the White House involved. And then on top of that, you have prosecutions of those who were uh, disputing the elections in 2020, the abusive prosecutions of Trump in four different uh, or four different jurisdictions, quite literally, right? all by Democrat politicians or their appointees. Uh, and we've never really seen that before. I mean, we all know the Justice Department engages in political-type political, political type prosecutions now and again. But here you have the Biden administration and the culture here in Washington, D.C., completely embracing the idea uh, that it's okay for Biden to try to jail his political opponent based on charges that had never been brought before in the history of America and never been yeah, pursued anywhere in any jurisdiction before like they're being pursued against by uh, Trump. So it isn't like Trump did something. It's like he ran over a cat. Everyone knows you're not supposed to run over a cat. He did something that is typical, pr typically protected by the First Amendment and the Constitution and his rights as president, and they're trying to jail him for it. And that's something that third world countries do. I mean, we're, we're, we're prosecuting dissent like a third world republic, a, th a banana republic, and we're spending like a banana republic, you know, I, I just hope uh, we get back to being a constitutional republic. Absolutely. Oh, and listen, the work that, that you do there at Judicial Watch is so critical in this whole thing, and we're extremely grateful for that, Tom Fitton. Now, let me ask you this, because the, the next layer, if you will, to this onion I, they, what we now learn is this federalized uh, attempt to weaponize and go against political opponents uh, and perhaps other people now shows up that it was a part of the whole COVID uh, deal as well. And now the one who was overseeing that is now overseeing the president's reelection campaign, which could have political ramifications as it relates to uh, the integrity of the upcoming election and another potential pandemic. Uh, what are your thoughts in that regard? Is this part of the plan for him shifting from the director of digital strategy in the White House to the re-election campaign? We knew the political operation, the PR operation for the Biden campaign was advising the state of California on censorship matters related to citizens questioning the elections and how they were being run. We had evidence of that. So if they did what they did last time, you can be sure the Biden campaign uh, as their their candidate, you know, the president of the United States is pushing for the censorship of Americans and the left approves of it. Why wouldn't their can't why wouldn't his campaign embrace it? 
Certainly, yeah, given the uh, personnel is going to be is it, who is doing it in one place is going to be in the other place. The campaign. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this, and and final question for you. How concerned are you in light of this whole big picture that we're discussing right now? How concerned are you overall about election integrity heading into 2024? Well, I fear that Americans are losing, uh, well, have lost confidence in the uh, uh, election systems, right? And I think we need to restore confidence in the election systems, and we need to ensure that elections are going to be fairly run and appear to be fairly run. That means by encouraging people to vote on Election Day, counting the votes on Election Day, requiring voter ID, uh, don't allow the mass collection of ballots. And I know Republicans are thinking, well, you know, these are the rules. We have to we have to kind of do what we can under the new system. Uh, but uh, in my view, uh, you're you're setting up a system that invites fraud, makes it nearly impossible to detect. And uh it's it could be ugly in the end in terms of people not having confidence in the outcome one way or another. Tom Fitton, president of Judicial Watch, I could not agree with you more. Thank you so much for bringing this uh, latest information on what's happening with a weaponized government. Uh, God bless you. Thanks for joining us on Washington Watch. Thank you, Jody. Good to be good to be with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, friends, stay tuned. We've got a lot more to unpack for you and to bring your way. Coming up next after the break, Congressman Matt Rosendale will be joining me for an update from Capitol Hill, where we still need your support, your help to end taxpayer funding of abortion travel in our military. Much, much to discuss with him, and we'll do so right after this break. So stay tuned. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. 
Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Well, good afternoon and welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, sitting in today for Tony. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, the House of Representatives is expected to vote tomorrow on a resolution from the House Ethics Committee uh, and their chairman, Michael Guest. Uh, But the vote is going to deal with removing New York Congressman George Santos from office. And this is a major event for, for the chamber, obviously. It's only happened five times in history, only five times ever. Three times it happened for individuals who supported the Confederacy during the Civil War and twice for individuals who committed federal crimes. And I keep in mind that it's considered almost a certainty that uh, his seat would be filled by a Democrat, which obviously narrows what is already a razor-thin majority that the GOP currently holds. Well, joining me now to bring us the latest on this and a whole lot more is Congressman Matt Rosendale. He serves on the House Committee on Veterans Affairs as well as the Committee on Natural Resources and represents the 2nd Congressional District of Montana. Congressman Rosendale, great to see you. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for having me on tonight, Jody. Well, it's our pleasure indeed. All right, let's, uh, we've been hearing a lot all over the news about uh, Congressman George Santos and the situation there. Give us the latest. What are you hearing? What do you anticipate happening tomorrow? Yeah, so they're they're having the debate today, and I think that they will bring up the uh, resolution for consideration tomorrow on the floor uh, for the full House vote. And, And honestly, Jody, I find it disappointing. Um, I'm not saying that I condone any of the actions or alleged actions of George Santos, but what I will tell you is that he hasn't been convicted of anything. And if you look at the previous people who've been expelled from Congress, they've been convicted of felonies, okay? And to go and, and, and make this precedent where someone has been accused of something and before they've had an opportunity to be uh, judged by a, a, a a group of peers uh, for their innocence or not is very problematic. Who else are they going to bring before uh, the House and try to expel? And for what? Okay, uh, conduct that they don't consider uh, acceptable or alleged conduct that they don't consider acceptable. Uh, the Ethics Committee typically, uh, as you well know, does their does their investigation and they they raise their their grievances. And typically, folks are, are uh, assessed a fine and, and are made sure that they don't uh, 
continue that conduct any longer. So, so again, this is an incredibly large precedence. It's worrisome, and, and I don't know um, who else is going to be brought before uh, the mob, if you will, to see if they can be expelled. Yeah, well, those are the two. Uh, there are two issues that that are alarming to me. And likewise, look, the the actions that he allegedly has done. Uh, indefensible. I, I get that. He, if he should be removed, he should be removed. But he should be removed after he's convicted, after he's gone through the process and actually has been convicted of the, the crimes that, that he's been uh, char- uh, charged with. And I think that point is a, is a very significant one. The other issue that concerns me is that there is not an equal uh, accountability on the Democrat side. I mean, do you believe that the Democrats would ever go after one of their own in similar circumstances? Oh, I know they won't. We, we saw that play out in Jamal Brown when he, when he pulled a fire alarm to uh, stop the uh, business of Congress from being conducted. And, and we saw a lot of people, literally hundreds of people who are serving time in federal penitentiary right now who came to the Capitol on January the 6th and were charged with a, a similar crime and, and, and they're doing time. And, and yet we see a, a Democrat member of Congress who pulls a fire alarm to delay the, the uh, conduct and the actions of Congress, and then we see nothing taking place whatsoever. And again, the biggest thing is due process. I don't know whether George committed any crimes or not. He allegedly committed some crimes. Due process says that he is supposed to be judged by a jury of his peers to, to uh, determine whether he's guilty or not of these charges, and no one has been expelled from Congress without being convicted. And, and, and the folks, if you look at it, there was three, I think, during the Civil War that were, were charged with treason, okay, against uh, the United States government. And there's been two uh, since the Civil War, and they were charged with bribery and uh, uh, other types of, of felonies uh, and convicted well, of those convicted. crimes before they, they were convicted. expelled. That's right. Exactly. All right. We've only got a couple of minutes left. If I can quickly shift gears to the National Defense Authorization Act. Of course, we're watching closely uh, Senate uh, Senate Democrats and their push to try to remove the uh, Jackson-Roy Amendment that rolls back the Pentagon's illegal abortion travel policy. You also have an amendment uh, in that regarding uh, not using tax dollars for uh, gender reassignment surgery. What's the latest on the NDAA? What's going to happen here? So I, I've got grave concerns about that, Jody. I will tell you, it's my understanding that that's being discussed by the the four corners. So the leadership in both chambers and uh, and both how uh, both parties, and and this is supposed to go to a conference so that the members can can work this out. I will tell you that it came out of the house with some really really good language. Was the first time ever I am uh, told that it was able to get passed with all Republican votes because we did strip out all of the uh, provisions from the NDAA that do not um, direct or or are not uh, directed at investing in making our military the most uh, effective fighting force on earth. And, And so if they pull those provisions out, if they reinsert language that allows for taxpayers' dollars to be used for abortions and transgender surgeries and other woke-type policies, then it, it's the likelihood of it uh, having the Republican support here in the House is, is thin to none. 
Yeah, and there's no doubt the NDAA that was passed months ago was a great one. Uh, hats off to you and all your colleagues for doing an outstanding job on that. And we just got to get it across the finish line. How important is it now for uh, people to call their members? And we've only got a few seconds, but I, in fact, I want to give out the switchboard number. Let me, in fact, let me do that. 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. How important is it? Uh, Congressman Rosendale, for people to please hear from everybody that is, is that in your, in your audience, please call your House uh, representative up and and assure them that they need to keep that language out. Call your senator up. Make sure they don't pass the NDAA with those provisions in there. Thank you so much, Congressman Matt Rosendale. Grateful for all your work. All right, friends. When we come back from the break, much more to cover not the least of which is the issue of election integrity. Jay Christian Adams will be joining me on that discussion. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us today on Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. Glad to be sitting in today for Tony. All right. Chinese officials recently reacted to a wave of respiratory illnesses in Beijing by urging local residents to limit their movement and interactions. Now, earlier in the program, just a little while ago, I talked about the Biden administration's heavy hand on collusion with tech companies like Google to censor Americans' First Amendment rights when discussing the COVID pandemic. Well, obviously, 2024 is another election year, and the legacy media is more than happy to keep Americans in fear. 
And the, the left won't hesitate to capitalize on this. So with the likelihood that we're, we could at least see a, another election time epidemic emerge as we get closer to November's elections, could we see a repeat of the high jinx, if you will, from 2020? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Jay Christian Adams. He's the president of uh, the Public Interest Legal Foundation. Jay Christian, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. All right, let's, uh, if we can, let's look at the big picture first. Uh, well, first, you know, it's amazing to me that we have uh, viruses now that are so smart that they appear every election cycle. But kind of that <laughs> aside, uh, how much of a repeat of the 2020 could we see from the left as a spike in this new respiratory illness seems to be showing its head right now in China? Let's rehash 2020. They used COVID as a reason to break down all of the safeguards, all of the guardrails we had in place for our elections, like witness signature verification on absentee ballots, uh, voting in person, which is safer than voting by mail. All of these uh, safeguards we had were broken down because of COVID. I was in court listening to judges signing orders, signing off on dissolving the laws. Can they do it again in 2024? I don't think so, because first of all, there's lots of folks out there like the Public Interest Legal Foundation and other groups that are very ready to intervene in these cases, to fight back, uh, to not make the same mistakes that conservatives made four years ago and get caught flat-footed, which is what happened. So I think a lot of also improvements have been made at the state level as far as the election process goes. New state laws are in place. So I'm optimistic, guardedly optimistic, that it won't happen again. I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to hear that. Uh, because we still hear a lot of naysayers, and, and rightfully so to some extent, people have lost some confidence in the election process. But as we're moving into this upcoming election, it is critical for people to have the confidence that their votes are going to count. And you just expressed great optimism and confidence that you have due to new laws and, and more eyeballs, more feet on the ground to make sure that we have uh, election integrity. Let me ask you this, uh, because one of the, the issues, one of the items, areas of chaos caused by uh, the 2020 that came about was the number of days after Election Day that it took for results to come in. And when that happens, of course, people lose confidence. Uh, what's your take on that? It's a bad problem, uh, Jody. For example, in Florida, we knew who won on election night because they have a variety of things that are in place. We did a whole report on why Florida went from worst to first. They were worst in 2000. Now they're first in 2020. Uh, but there's other states that count ballots for weeks. And in some places, like North Dakota, where our, our, our organization is suing in North Dakota to stop the collection of ballots for two weeks, weeks. In previous North Dakota elections, the ballots came in even without postmarks. Now, you might say, why North Dakota doesn't matter? Look, there's a federal law in place. The federal law says election day, and we're trying to find what that means in the courts. And North Dakota has one of the most extreme multi-week periods to collect ballots after the election. So we brought a federal lawsuit in North Dakota. Uh, other groups have tried in other places like Illinois 
Um, we're trying to get some clarity because I think I think that endless elections are corrosive to confidence in the system. And that's why there has to be clarity on what does election day mean. It shouldn't mean uh, election day and then two extra uh, periods of overtime. Yeah, absolutely. I could not agree with you more. When, when we have these prolonged elections with uncertainty as to the results and the outcomes, that does undermine confidence of the voters and the entire electoral system. And it's corrosive to our entire nation and our election process. Uh, listen, I wish we had more time to go over more and more of this. Uh, give me your last thoughts, if you would, about this upcoming election. What can people do to be more engaged and to be a part of the solution? Well, of course, the best thing anybody could do is, is become a poll official. Counties everywhere around the country need people to serve as poll officials. It's no fun. It's all day. It's kind of like sitting in a deer stand from, you know, sunrise to sunset. And, uh, you know, sometimes it, it, it's not it's not easy. Uh, but if you are an election official, you can volunteer to do it. Sometimes you get paid. You will learn about the process and you'll help safeguard the process. Thank you so much, Jay. Christian Adams, president of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. This is a fascinating topic and one that we have to stay on top of, both from what's coming, but also from our involvement. We must secure election integrity. Thank you so much for the role that you are doing with that. And thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, friends, stay tuned. We've got much more coming your way here on Washington Watch following the break. Dr. Albert Moeller will be joining me not only about anti-Semitism, but how it directly is coming your way and my way as people of faith. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply 
and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. So glad to have you joining us today on Washington Watch. Welcome back. I'm Jody Heiss, your host. An honor to be sitting in this evening for Tony. Well, since the October 7th terrorist attacks on Israel, we've seen a disturbing rise in anti-Semitism worldwide, and certainly that includes right here throughout the United States. Whether we're talking a a Jewish university group of students uh, forced to hide from a mob uh, in a college library or uh, a riot at a high school after students learned that one of their teachers actually attended a rally to support Israel. The bottom line is that the mask has come off for the anti-Semitic views that the left harbors. Well, since uh, we, we saw just yesterday, in fact, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer delivered a lengthy address on anti-Semitism on the, on the uh, Senate floor and he noted that those who are attacking Jews, be it verbally or physically, they are people that he previously thought were ideological fellow travelers. Not long ago, many of us marched together for black and brown lives. We stood against anti-Asian hatred. We protested bigotry against the LGBTQ community. We fought for reproductive justice out of the recognition that injustice against one oppressed group is injustice against all. But apparently, Mr. President, in the eyes of some, this principle does not extend to the Jewish people. So that's the big question. What makes support for the Jews different from support of any of the other groups that he mentioned in the eyes of the left? What is the difference? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Dr. Albert Moeller. He's the president, of course, of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, author of many, many books, including Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, The Explosive uh, Power of Jesus' Parables. Dr. Moeller, always great to have you on Washington Watch. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Jody. It's always good to be with you. What an important issue for us to talk about. Man, you are not kidding. Uh, So let me just begin it this way. Should... Chuck Schumer, should he really at all be surprised that there are some on the left who won't back the Jews? You know, uh, I don't think he should be surprised. But on the other hand, you you can kind of understand the universe of uh, American politics in which uh, 
you displace the, the you say the Jewish vote and and predominant Jewish leadership. Uh, it's been clearly situated in the Democratic Party. Most importantly, since 1948, when Harry Truman, a Democratic president, recognized Israel, uh, very important to uh, to the history of the Jewish people and, of course, the history of Israel. The first nation to recognize Israel was the United States. I think we're very proud of that. Um, you also have a concentration of Jewish population in a lot of the northern uh, urban centers, which are uh, predominantly democratic. And uh, and then you have exactly what uh, Chuck Schumer spoke to there, which is you've had uh, uh, the, the Jewish uh, culture in the United States very much associated uh, with liberal causes. And, uh, you know, they did march with each other. They, they, they you know, his history is right. Uh, but there is there is a deep-seated anti-Semitism that has just arisen to the surface. And you and I know it's not new. Uh, uh, but it seems shocking to the Senate Majority Leader, Senator Schumer, who, of course, in his own life uh, is a part of a Jewish community. And, uh, you know, th this, is a, this is a big issue. It, it's an explosive revelation of a deep anti-Semitism in American culture. It most certainly is. And here is a perfect segue into where I want to go and want to get your input on this, because this is not, to me, just about anti-Semitism, if you will, against Jewish people. This is a spiritual issue, and it is much deeper than just hatred for Jews. It is That's a right. hatred towards God. It is a hatred towards the people of God. And this is not going to end, in my opinion, with yeah. anti-Semitic behavior towards the Jews. It is going to go from there to expressions of hostility and hatred to people of faith, period. I mean, we saw this reaction to Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, most okay. recently. Give me your take on this movement that it is, it is a hatred towards God that's going to have broader expressions as this movement continues. Yeah, you know, Jody, when you look at anti-Semitism, you're looking at one of the world's oldest and certainly its most deadly hatred throughout all of human history. And uh, there's something that is unique in terms of the hatred of the Jewish people. And you see this in the Old Testament. And I think you and I know it is because Israel, as God's elect nation, uh, basically uh, had the antipathy of the rest of the world. This was the scandal of the Jewish people. On the one hand, they were God's elect. On the other hand, the other nations hated Israel. And, uh, you know, we see that in the anti-Semitism that has so characterized uh, human history, even Western civilization. And, and so it really is a, a unique hatred of the Jewish people. But you're right. It, it's not because uh, they were one of the Semitic peoples in the ancient Near East. It's because they were God's elect people in, in terms of the nation of Israel, as you see in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. And, and by extension, yes, this is a hatred of God. And, uh, and you know, it's particularly ironic since uh, the predominant uh, theological direction of American Judaism has been to the theological left and indeed to secularism. And so, you know, there are a lot of ironies here, but I think it's a deep-seated antipathy to uh, Israel as, uh, and by the way, they they claim their identity as the chosen people. Well, that you can see is uh, is the enmity of the world in mirror image. Yeah, good point. So, so what is your reaction to Democrats who seem surprised, perhaps even disappointed, by the anti-Semitism in their own party or on the left, but they never 
say a word about anti-Christian sentiment. Yeah, they define it differently, and I don't think that's legitimate, but I'm just saying they define it differently. They define a Jewish identity largely in ethnicity, which is, of course, the one thing Christians can't do, made up of every tongue and tribe and people and nation. And so if you define it, the Jewish identity, in terms of ethnicity, I think you end up with Chuck Schumer's you know, speech. Yet, Look at this. I mean, for example, if he had been aware of what was going on on the left, and it's hard for me to believe he wasn't, that he would have to know that the cultural Marxism on the left was turning in deep antipathy to the nation of Israel, first of all, uh, deep antipathy to the very existence of Israel. And uh, eventually that means deep antipathy to Israel representing a Jewish nation and thus, thus opposition to Judaism. And so I think there's only a limited extent to which Chuck Schumer, with his eyes open, and look at the people he's been hanging around with. Well, guess what? The people you've been hanging around with are are you know deeply involved in in a radical left, and uh, guess what, the left consumes itself. Uh, it's like I say, the most the most dangerous person in America right now, or the most vulnerable. I mean, is uh, is yesterday's liberal because tomorrow's liberal will chew him up or her up. Just ask you know a feminist like Martina Navratilova, the uh, the gender revolutionaries uh, want to cancel her. Wow. Yeah, you know, that's a, a great point, Dr. Moeller, because just as they are even eating their own, as you just described, the, it's kind of like the nature of sin. It never is content with where it currently exists. It always is going to take a step further in whatever area we're talking about. Yeah. And this is no different. This is not simply going to be, if it's allowed, if it's not addressed, if it's not, if it's allowed to run rampant, it will express itself uh, in other areas as we're already seeing, as you just described. That's right. But what do you think about this being a springboard? I, I wanted to get some clips and I, I, I mm-hmm. wasn't able to grab one of Democrats going after Russ Vogt, for instance. Bernie right. Sanders basically right. told him in the hearing, you have no right, right to be involved in politics because right. of your Christian faith. I mean, does is the movement we're currently seeing, in your opinion, going to be a springboard towards more hostility to people of faith in general? Well, I think that's certainly true. And I, I think you look at the opposition to the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, uh, you look at uh, exactly what you talked about, for instance, Russ Vogt being interrogated by Bernie Sanders. And by the way, just understand the irony of that, given the fact we're talking about anti-Semitism. But uh, yeah, it's a deep antipathy towards any form of theism. And, and you know, Jody, I think that's a very important issue. Nobody is, uh, is trying to cancel New Age prophets. Uh, you know, no one is going after uh, the, uh, you know, the neo-pagans of this age, uh, they're going after theists. And, you know, I think there's a very important worldview issue for us to recognize, and that is that, uh, you know, the part of Judaism, and I, I don't mean this just in terms of Jewish ethnicity, but the part of Judaism that's most hated is Torah. It's the law of God. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. God created uh, human beings in his image, male and female, created he them. A secular progressivist left just has to hate that. And uh, and they hate any form of theism because theism comes with thou shalt and thou shalt not. And that's just as true of Christianity as it is of Judaism. And, you know, we can't go along, for instance, with the gender nonsense, the very deadly gender ideology that's been set loose in this country. So you know what? 
we're now uh, we're now to be canceled. Uh, we're now to be uh, uh, basically told we can't believe that or say that anymore. And I saw just this morning, you know, where there are people saying, you know, we've got to forbid these Christian parents from influencing their children along these same lines. So, yeah, uh, that, that's what we're facing. So is it is it uh, taking it a step too far to say ultimately, as it re- relates specifically uh, to the Christian community? I mean, we're, we've dealt with the the Jewish faith, but uh, also people of faith, specifically Christianity, with a, those with a theistic world worldview. Uh, that this group, the left, the radical left, actually want religious freedom for no one. They want to dictate what we believe. Yeah, you know, I don't think they would say that. I mean, you're certainly right, but I don't think they would say that. I think they're sly enough to say uh, that therefore uh, the toleration and liberty of safe religions and safe religious people. That means no threat to the left, no threat to its agenda. And so, again, I don't think they really care about going after a New Age preschool. Uh, But when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to biblical uh, Christianity— well, uh, that we are the main obstacle to the left uh, delivering on its goals, and and they know that. And 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 by the way, uh, the most important thing that goes on here is what goes on in Christian homes and in Christian churches, and, and then in, in the third sense in the public square, because uh, the first place uh, we push back is in our own homes, raising our children in the nurtured admonition of the Lord. The second place is in the church. And uh, in, in in the faithful congregation, and uh, and then out in the world where we are called to go, and yes, it's going to bring opposition. You can count on it. Well, that brings up a, another big question that I hear all the time, and personally have experienced it along the way as well. And that is, so many churches that refuse to get into these issues and equip their church family with a biblical worldview and the capacity to stand in the midst of an increasingly hostile environment. Uh, You know, it's good to teach someone, for example, uh, what a driver's book says and say, here's how you drive a car. But it's not until you get in the car and actually start driving that you learn how to drive. And the same applies in many ways to practical Christianity. It is one thing to teach biblical principles uh, from the pulpit, it is a different level to teach a biblical worldview and how to live out those biblical truths, particularly That's in right. an increasing environment. What do you do when your uh, boss says you must use these pronouns? How do you stand? Uh, you, the president of a uh, one of the most influential seminaries in the world, how do how, how do you what do you say to these pastors who are so slow in engaging their their people on these issues? Well, yeah, they're they're slow, and uh, you know, uh, I, I can remember years ago, uh, Irving Kristol, and this just is it's a great quote that I think about often. Uh, Irving Kristol said that a neoconservative is a liberal mugged by reality, and uh, <laughs> you know, we we can talk about neoconservatism. That's another issue, but the point is, yeah, you're going to be mugged by reality if you don't if you don't understand the responsibility. There are a lot of Christian pastors who are going to end up saying, "What in the world happened? You know, h- h- how did this happen? How's this showing up in my church? How is this going uncontested in my community?" Well, hey, it's about time you wake up and see the challenge here and uh, understand your responsibility as a pastor, the local church's responsibility as the body of Christ uh, to speak for these issues. 
And, you know, you would think that more than a half century after the Roe v. Wade decision, more than a half century after the sexual and moral revolutions of the 1960s and beyond, you would think that that would not be an issue now. And, uh, you know, the other thing I want to say, Jody, is that if I'm talking to a pastor in China, uh, maybe a pastor of a house church, you know, they don't have a lot of political responsibility because they have no political opportunity. But in the United States, we have a tremendous political stewardship. And uh, that doesn't mean we translate the church's ministry into politics. It does mean we tell Christ's people how to be effective uh, in contending for Christian truth out of love of neighbor. And that means in politics as well. Well, absolutely. It is impossible to be salt and light without being engaged. And here in America, we have not only the biblical responsibility to do so, but as you say, we are blessed with a country, the entire political system of which does not work without involvement of the people. So what a huge trust that we have. In the last few seconds, uh, tell our viewers and listeners how best we should be praying for our country and our leaders right now. You know, I think we need to be praying that the American nation will continue to stand for righteousness around the world. And and I pray that the American people and the American government will continue to stand with the nation of Israel. It's not a perfect nation, because we understand as Christians, there is no perfect nation. But it is the sole democratic constitutional government in the entire Middle East. And I think we as Christians understand it's more than that. As a Jewish state. Dr. Moeller. Uh, yes. Dr. Albert Moeller. Thank you so much for all the work you do. Thanks for joining us on Washington Watch. Friends, that wraps up this edition. Have a great, fantastic rest of your day. We'll see you tomorrow here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.